Thanks very much, Trevor. Do keep that open. We're going to be looking at that story, extraordinary story from Genesis in a moment. Let's pray, shall we, before we open it up together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, uh, as we've heard it read just now. Uh, May our hearts be open to you this morning, and may we have faith planted and stirred in our hearts, because you are faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, I wasn't very surprised this week uh, when in the news we heard that former colleagues of Donald Trump have pleaded guilty to lying during the presidential campaign a few years ago. Uh, It kind of feels to me like just another chapter in the extraordinary saga of US politics at the moment, doesn't it? But you do kind of think, well, will they never learn um, that lying in politics is really not a, a very good idea? Or perhaps just for all of us, we all know someone, I'm sure, who uh, just is in trouble in life again and again because of the things they do, the mistakes they make, the, the, maybe the lies that they keep telling. And you kind of think, don't you, you know, will they never learn? Will they just keep doing this? Um, and when you think of people you look at and say, will they never learn? And we perhaps said it of children when they were younger, if we have children. We didn't expect to say that if we know the Bible story at all of Abraham, did we? We thought Abraham was set up in the Bible, as he is in the New Testament, as a great hero of faith. And he is the the person to look at as someone that trusted God's promises. If you've been with us in these chapters from chapter 12, we began by looking at the promises God gave Abraham. He said, if if you will leave your family and and travel wherever I send you, um, I will bless you, I will make your name great, I'll give you offspring even though you and Sarah are still childless, and I will bless all nations through you. And Abraham's walked and followed those promises in faith. As we've seen, he's become a wealthy man. Uh, He's become, in many ways, successful. He's prayed for righteous people to be rescued, and God's heard him. And yet here he is in Genesis 20, apparently completely lacking in faith. And I say... Will you never learn, Abraham? Because actually, he and Sarah have been here before in a very similar story back in the second half of chapter 12. We didn't look at any detail at that time, but back in chapter 12, Abraham and Sarah went to Egypt, and there Abraham feared that Pharaoh would want Sarah to be his wife, and that Pharaoh would then bump Abraham off to get Sarah free so he could marry her. So when they went to Egypt, they said to each other, well, let's say, Sarah, you're my sister. And then Pharaoh will think that he can legitimately just take you as his wife without killing me first. And that's what happens. Pharaoh takes Sarah uh, into his harem. God strikes Pharaoh with illness and sickness. And Pharaoh quickly gives Sarah back to Abraham when he discovers, actually, she's Abraham's wife. Again, it's an extraordinary story. It's an extraordinary lapse of faith for Abraham not to trust that God would protect him and Sarah and give them their child he'd promised. And now here we are, 25 years later now, in Genesis 20, in a different place in Gerar, a different king, Abimelech, and you're thinking, Abraham, you know, yes, fear is a very powerful emotion, And you're afraid that Abimelech may kill you to take Sarah, but will you never learn? 
but you can trust God. Some people actually see these two stories as so similar, it's a bit of an aside really, um, that they think, well, maybe it's, it's just a repeat of the same story, not two different incidents at all. Don't worry about the detail, but suffice to say, um, the two stories are, are quite different in the details. Not just Pharaoh and Abimelech, but um, the way the story unfolds, the, the, the language about God in this story is much stronger. And Abimelech, unlike Pharaoh, responds to God here. So almost certainly, this is another incident, a repeat. Abraham making the same mistake again, years later. So what happens when you and I and God's people fail to trust God and we do it again and again? That's the question in this remarkable story. And sure enough, they get to Gerar and Abimelech sees Sarah. Uh, We don't know. I mean, she's 90 years old by now, but tradition says she's still a very beautiful woman. And he takes, Abimelech takes Sarah into his harem. And what happens in this story next reveals, I think, two remarkable truths about God and his grace. Uh, That God's power is greater than our weakness and that God's promises are greater than our fears. And really, those are the two halves of the the centre of this story, uh, up to verse 7 and then from verse 8. So let's look at the first one of those. God's power is greater than our weakness. We may have come this morning thinking, oh, it's Abraham, it's all about faith. He's a great example of faith. He's the hero of the story. But actually, you're getting the impression, aren't you, I think, by now, if you're listening, that Abraham's no great hero in this story at all. In fact, if you look at verse 3, you can see there, can't you, who the hero is. Verse 3 starts with those two words, but God. Abraham and Sarah may have put the promise of a child in danger by allowing her to be taken off into someone else's harem, but God is still at work. God still steps in. Those two words, but God, are often in the Bible a a clue. They often introduce good news, God's intervention coming to rescue us when we've blown it. So here is God. He's going to step in. Though Abraham's messing up again, repeating a mistake, God, you see, doesn't operate, does he, in the Bible, a one-strike, you're-out policy. God says, okay, you've done the same again, but I will still step in to rescue you. But God, two great words. And they may be important words for someone here this morning even. That you've messed up in some way, as we all do in life sometimes, And you are not beyond God's redemption. But God, his power, is greater than our weakness. And here is God, even in a foreign palace, uh, the king's palace in Gerar, this is just kind of outside Canaan, outside the promised land. Here is God working in the heart of a foreign king, in a dream. He says to Abimelech, you are as good as dead because of the woman you've taken. If you've ever had a bad dream, this is a pretty bad dream, isn't it? God says to him, she's a married woman. You're as good as dead, Abimelech. And Abimelech wakes up and we realize in verse 4 that God has not only spoken in a dream to Abimelech, he's already prevented Abimelech taking Sarah to bed with him. Abimelech says, I haven't yet gone near her. 
God's power is so great, it's reaching into the dreams of a foreign ruler, a foreign power, and it's also reaching into the, the domestic life of this family as well. It's almost certain that what's prevented him going near Sarah is that a sickness has struck the whole household. He and the whole family are ill, perhaps seriously ill. So God's thwarted the plans of a pagan power. Isn't that an extraordinary thought that God can do that? And Abimelech in this story is a remarkable character. He's very open to God's hand on his life here. So, I mean, for a start, I've put a few things about him on the screen there, but he honors marriage. So he's sort of cut to the heart that he didn't know that Sarah was married and he's unwittingly taken it into his household. Uh, he's conscious that marriage is a, is a precious estate with a man and woman coming together um, exclusively for life. And there was a common understanding in the ancient world of, of the, the sanctity, the importance of marriage. It's kind of ironic, I think, that in our culture today, we take, our culture takes a very low view of marriage, doesn't it? And we think of ourselves today as the enlightened culture. But here's the benefit, a very high view of marriage. Uh, he admits his guilt in taking Sarah. He's not saying, um, I've done nothing wrong in this. He knows his life is in danger. Uh, he's also concerned for his own people, verse 4. And he says, not just I, but my whole nation are in trouble because of what I've done. He, he recognizes that in some way, the wrongdoing of a nation's leader, or we might say today a church's leader, has an impact on the whole people as a collective responsibility somehow. And he cares for his people. He doesn't want them to suffer because of what's happened. He protests his innocence as well. He makes the point that he didn't know. Abraham had lied to him. Abraham said, she's my sister. She said, he's my brother. So he thought he was okay to go ahead and take her into his harem. He protests his at least partial innocence. Uh, but he also knows that he does bear guilt. And, and God's going to say to him in verse 6, Yes, I know. I know you had a clear conscience in doing this. I know Abraham lies because I see everything. And so I kept you from sinning against me. That's why I, I made you sick. So that you wouldn't go near Sarah. I'm protecting Abraham and Sarah's marriage. But, verse 7, he does still bear guilt, Abimelech. Uh, God says, return the man's wife to Abraham. He will then pray for you because he's a prophet and you'll live. But if you don't, you can be sure. You and your whole family will die. I think, again, in our culture, we a little aside here, but we tend to associate sin with, with motive, with intention, don't we? You know, I, I didn't mean to do any harm. What matters for us in right and wrong is why we do something. But actually in the Bible, motive is very important, but our consciences are fallible, aren't they? We are quite capable, I am quite capable of doing something, thinking it's fine, but actually it is wrong. Conscience is not a good guide to right and wrong for human beings. So, you know, I may not know when I get, get the ferry to Europe, I get off the ferry in France, I may not know 
that it's wrong to drive on the left in France. In fact, it's dangerous to do so. But it is still wrong, isn't it? And dangerous. Uh, And Abimelech didn't know Sarah was already married, but that doesn't make adultery wrong. Uh, Right. (laughs) Slight slip there. It's like the old sinner's Bible, isn't it? That missed out the word not in the seventh commandment. Uh, It said, thou shalt commit adultery. Um, He didn't know, did he, that she was married, but it didn't make adultery right. And he knows that, Abimelech. So before we look on at this story, let's just pause. What's Genesis teaching us here in this first bit of the story? God's power is greater than our weakness. It's telling us that God is working for good or preventing evil in the lives, I think we can imagine, of, of human beings all the time. And not just of his own people, of his followers, but of even foreign rulers like Abimelech. Our faith may feel weak sometimes, like Abraham's, but God's still at work for good, reaching into the hearts and the homes of even pagan emperors. So just a a famous story from years ago. The Roman Emperor Constantine um, in 312 AD was seeking religious truth, seeking God's help, whatever gods he believed in at that moment, And then he saw a vision of a cross shape in the sky. And he thought he heard the voice of Jesus, whose followers he'd been persecuting, as all the Romans did to that point. And Jesus was saying to him, by this sign, the cross, you will conquer. And Constantine took that message very seriously. It's debated, did he become a Christian or not? But he certainly put the cross as a shape on his flags and standards for his army going into battle. And not only that, actually, um, he adopted a a policy of care for the poor. Um, He stopped persecution of Christians in the empire. And he also banned um, the exposing the the killing of unwanted babies in the empire. His life certainly changed from that moment. And it's just a great example, isn't it, of how God's power is greater than our weakness. He can even reach into the lives of the most unlikely people to turn their hearts towards him like that or to prevent them from doing harm. So who are the people you know that you would say, Richard, that's the most unlikely person to become a Christian? Because that may just be the person that God has every intention of speaking to. Uh, Through dreams, through your words through circumstances, and drawing them towards him and turning them from evil. Who's the most unlikely person that you could pray for? Churches can wander from faith sometimes, from faithfulness. Um, Nations can do the same. Multinational companies are hugely powerful nowadays, aren't they? People like Apple. They may seem, some of these powers, completely ignorant of God's purposes, But again, what's to stop God? What's to say God isn't all the time stepping into their hearts and minds and at least turning them from some of the acts of evil as he did with Abimelech? Who's to say this world would not be much worse than it is and its guilt wouldn't be much worse than it is were not God at work in power in unseen ways, revealing himself and shaping the actions of everyone.
God's power is greater than our weakness. That's the first. That's incredibly good news, isn't it, for us? As it was for Abraham and Sarah. Secondly, then, God's promises are greater than our fears. From verse 9 now. Abimelech works very quickly, actually, doesn't he? Uh, verse 8. Every, early next morning, he summons his advisors. He explains the dream he's had, the message from God, the danger they're in. And they're as moved and as terrified as he is. They listen just as he did. So then he calls in Abraham and rebukes him. Verse 8, what have you done to us? What have I done to you to deserve you bringing guilt on me and my kingdom? What have we done to you? How have I wronged you? You've done things to me that you should not have done, that you should not be done. Here is amazingly a pagan king, you see this, rebuking a man that is in the center of God's covenant, Abraham. What a moment that is. A pagan king rebuking one of God's people for not knowing right and wrong. In fact, throughout this whole rather shameful episode for Abraham, Abimelech stands head and shoulders, doesn't he, above Abraham. And some people sort of give, I think, Abraham special pleading here uh, and say that he wasn't as bad as we're making out. But, but I think most of the commentators, and I certainly take this view, think Abraham has really fallen from his faithfulness and his faith in this story. But here is Abimelech, um, who is stepping straight in, rebuking Abraham, But then verse 10, he does give Abraham a hearing. He could have just said, um, off with your head. He's the king after all. But he says, no, Abraham, explain to me what you were doing. What were you thinking? Abraham, actually, if you see what Abraham then said from verse 11, he doesn't cover himself with glory here. He does, if you look at it. Um, he, um, He... seems to, if anything, try to excuse himself further. Um, he says in verse 11, I, I was in a godless place, I feared for my life. Uh, but we've seen, haven't we, Abimelech actually and his people are very godly people. They respond to God's words. He passes Sarah off in verse 12 as his sister, uh, claiming she's actually his half-sister. And you kind of think, well, you know, this, this lie has become even more complex now, and he's missing the point that actually she's his wife. Verse 13, he even passes the buck, it seems, to God. He says, when God caused me to wander from my father's household, um, we decided we'd have this policy of deception wherever we went. It's almost like he's saying, if, if God hadn't made me wander, none of this would have happened. Well, that's, that's very dangerous ground, isn't it? Blaming God for our sins and lack of faith. So here's Abraham with his extraordinary fear he's feeling and the steps he's taken because of that fear really away from God's purposes all the way. But Abimelech is not making excuses. He's making restitution for any guilt he bears. So verse 14, it's very expensive for him. Um, He's taken Sarah unknowingly into his harem as a married woman um, and to make good he gives sheep and cattle slaves to Abraham, returns Sarah, I think with considerable relief, back to Abraham. He gives Abraham the land, the whole land of Gerar, to live in. 
So Abraham's at last got some land. And verse 16, he gives Sarah a very, this is thousands of pounds in our language, maybe 100,000 pounds. I'm giving your brother 1,000 shekels of silver to cover the offense before you, before all who are with you, you are completely vindicated. And the word there, covering the offense, we get the word making atonement from that. So this is a sum of money being given to Sarah to make atonement for what he's done wrong in taking her, but also, he says, to make sure that everyone knows that you are innocent from this day forward. You are vindicated. It's a tremendous act of blessing, actually, isn't it? So no excuses for Abimelech, a costly restitution, putting it right. It's an extraordinary outcome, isn't it, to a very sordid tale here. Abraham's gone so far wrong, and yet it ends up, doesn't it, with him being blessed with extraordinary gifts from Abimelech. God's promises are indeed true, and God's promises are greater, aren't they, than our fears. They overcome our lapses of faith through fear. So for us today, what's that mean for us? Well, I've known over the years many wonderful Christian leaders um, who God has used through their faithfulness, through their preaching and their courage and their ministry to reach many people with the gospel, to see many lives changed and God's kingdom come. But I guess in each of them, in different ways, in a number of them, I've, I've known them quite well. And I've also seen, because they're human, I've seen the flaws in their characters. Sometimes I saw them, like myself, take decisions that weren't brave, that lacked faith, that weren't wise in the light of God's promises. Not often, but just sometimes. And it makes you realize that we must not put Christian leaders on a pedestal. Even Abraham, we mustn't put him on a pedestal because he falls so far through fear here, doesn't he, from his faith. We must honour Christian leaders, pray for Christian leaders, but not worship them. Christian leaders carry responsibility um, from Christ to shepherd and guide and nurture his people, but they shouldn't carry the burden of also being perfect. But more positively, I suppose, God's promises are indeed greater than our fears. And that is incredibly good news. Maybe this is for someone here this morning, um, the first time you've realized this, that though we fail, God is faithful. Though we lack faith, he keeps his promises. Churches sometimes can give in to fear, uh, to falling away from faithfulness. But God is even using someone like Abimelech here to make sure that his promises are secure, that in this case, Abraham and Sarah are kept in their marriage so that very soon after, in chapter 21, God can send the promised child, Isaac, and fulfill his blessings. So can I ask you this morning, how are you, at the moment, most tempted to fear, to lack faith in God's promises because something's making you afraid. It might be you're afraid of coming to Christ this morning if you're not yet a follower of his because you fear of what he might ask of you. And you and I, if that's us, we need to to ask him for faith, don't we? To trust that his promises are good and faithful. 
What's holding you back? Or if you're a follower of Christ here, are you afraid of giving him more control of your life because you've held some back, haven't you, so far? In relationships or perhaps in your personal finances? You're afraid that if you give him more, that he'll take it and abuse it somehow. In fact, of course, the God of Jesus Christ will only bless you as you do that because he's faithful. You can trust him. God's promises are greater than our fears and his power is greater than our weakness. I pray so much that we will all hold on to those truths this week. You see in verse 17, it's interesting, isn't it? Abraham, it's reversed. Abraham now prays for Abimelech because he still needs to be forgiven by God so that his family can be healed of their sickness. Uh, And it says there, the Lord hears that prayer of Abraham and Abimelech's family begin to have children again. So here is Abraham, you see. This is wonderful. Despite all of his faults, and we've seen those today, haven't we? His lack of faith. Abraham is still at the heart of God's purposes. He's still the one, the man, through whom God's going to bless the nations. He's starting by blessing Abimelech's nation with health and with children in response to Abraham's prayer. Uh, But the promises still stand for Abraham. Isaac's on the way. The land of Canaan is a little nearer now than it was when he first believed. And one day through Isaac, through his family through Israel, God's going to send Jesus, Abraham's true seed, through whom he's going to save us and all the world. God promises to bless those who bless Abraham and to bless those who bless those in Christ. And that's us, his followers. See, in the Bible, I've put this, try and make this kind of really simple for myself. What matters is knowing Abraham in his day. That's matter for Abimelech, didn't it? That's what saved him, knowing Abraham and his prayer. And what matters is knowing Jesus in ours. In a way, that's the Bible story in a sentence. Knowing Abraham in his day, knowing Jesus in ours, that's the way to life, to blessing, to forgiveness, to God's promises fulfilled. So to think of God blessing the people through his people today, I wonder if you'll join me this week in praying for Holiday Club. We're going to be praying 11 o'clock at Nettie's each day if you want to go to Nettie Pinchings. Where's Nettie gone? Uh, there she is, she'll wave, pink cardigan, see her afterwards, get her address. Uh, but just pray, um, Carol and Colin Cratch are sending around a prayer letter as well. We can pray each day for the team and for the children. Because we're asking God, aren't we, to bless the people through us. That's how he blesses people in this world. Amazingly, through us, his fallible people, the church. Uh, and I'm just struck how in this city we've got God sending us international students from all over the world, thousands of them every year, to the universities here. We've got him sending us asylum seekers to this city. Uh, The work of English Plus is helping them to to find uh, not only a place in this city, in this culture, but through through Holy Trinity to find Christ. Will you pray with me, uh, as Abraham prayed for, for God to bless Abimelech's nation, for God to bless the nations that he's sending to us, through us, his people. So, When your faith or my faith is weak, when we just never seem to learn, do we, from our failings, when fears rise up in our hearts that God's promises aren't coming true, 
we can still say, can't we, Lord, we do know, we trust that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's ours in Christ Jesus. We can say, Lord, your power is greater than our weakness and your promises are greater than our fears. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we don't know, but I don't know, but perhaps there's someone here that is in tremendous fear at the moment, uh, that you're not faithful and, and loving, that you can't somehow be trusted. Will you help us all to believe in your care and tenderness, but also in your strength and faithfulness? May we all trust you more deeply. Because the promises you've given to us in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. That you walk with us as you promised. You lead and guide and protect. You bless and forgive. And one day you'll bring us to eternity free from evil, free from sin and death to gather before you in praise. We pray that you'll use us as your people today and through us you'll bless the nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.